Welcome to another edition of the Mexican Soccer Show. This is an hour-long podcast discussing all things Mexican soccer. I'm Cesar Hernandez, your host for today. Wiso is taking the week off, so I'll be leading the charge here. But in support, we've got Amy Lopez, we've got Owen Diana. We'll start with Amy. Amy, how are you? You joined the weekend. Uh, I'm guessing like like me, you probably had a couple screens for the Emmys and Liga Mekis as well. So I'm actually suffering from um, postpartum horror movie experience. I was talking to oh. Owen about this off the before we started recording. I decided okay. that um, it would be fun for me to watch a horror movie Sunday night before the week started and I couldn't really sleep last night as a grown woman so I'm a little tired today just trying to make up for for whatever it is I decided to do last night can I, can I ask what movie it was yeah it was Hell House 2 it's like an indie it's a sequel to an indie horror movie it's like based on if the whole premise is like they run a you know like a haunted house you know, like those yeah. mazes and stuff. They run one of those, but things go awry. But it's like done from like a single shot experience. So it's pretty scary, in my opinion. It's cool, but it's scary. But I am a I am a giant, giant wuss when it comes to those kinds of things. So I do not like scary <laughs> movies. But we'll go over to Owen. And I'm going to ask you, Owen, take your pick here. Do you want to talk about whether you're into scary movies or not? Or whether you watch the Classical Regio? Okay, well, I, I did watch the Classical Regio. And I also have no shame in admitting that I... I don't really like scary movies. They, they definitely scare me. So like I, I admire Amy for, for trying to build up her tolerance, but I don't think that's something I'm going to be trying anytime soon. Yeah, I have no interest. So shout out to Amy, who hopefully doesn't fall asleep on us at any point soon. But hopefully, Amy, you do at least stay awake for the, le- for the next five or 10, or I don't, I'm not entirely sure how much longer we'll talk about this. But Amy, let's dive into it. And let's talk about El Tri Feminine. You gotta yeah. be hyped about that though, right? There's no way you're gonna feel sleepy talking about LTD Feminine because guess what? We have a couple of friendlies coming up. Uh, not only, uh, we don't only have one this month, but also next month. This will be, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the 21st against Colombia in yes. Mexico City. Mm-hmm. And then the 23rd in October against Argentina. So Amy, tell us about that. Tell us about LTD Feminine, all the, all the latest news that's coming up with them. Yeah, no, I mean, we've we've been talking about it since Monica Vergara took over the team, right? It beca- it's definitely become a more serious project on the side of the women's senior side. You know, they're very invested. We've seen a couple friendlies um, within the last couple of months. They haven't been the results that uh, many expected, which, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of expectations when it comes to like this new project and just kind of seeing them do way better than they should. So I think that with all these European tours that they've had or, you know, Asian tours, you've seen a lot of heavy opposition scoring. And I think now is going to be a good time building into the qualifiers that they're going to have in November. I think Colombia tomorrow is going to be a good game. Monica Vergara just had a press conference earlier today, actually, where they were asking her about that. You know, she's still messing with the system. Um, a lot of the Tigres Femini players won't be there because they just finished off a friendly against Houston Dash this weekend. So she right, right. she she brought on some some new European players, Ambri Campos, Anika Rodriguez, among some of them that are getting their first uh, senior side call-ups. So she's still going to be playing with the system. It's still going to be, you know, kind of just messing, seeing what she's going to do when it comes to those qualifiers. But it is a historic moment because the last time they played in the Azteca was earlier this year. I believe yes, if or last year. Now I can't remember. It's probably last year. I don't remember. Either way, they played in the <laughs> they played in the Azteca against Costa Rica. It was a really fun game, broadcasted on through then a 3-0 victory, but there were no fans because of the pandemic. So they're coming back to the Azteca tomorrow. 
with a bunch of fans, I think Monica was stating that they're at 75% capacity, or at least that's how many tickets they were distributing to be sold. Um, so, you know, it should be fun. We, we haven't seen the, the feminine side play aside from that Costa Rica friendly in maybe like 14 years at the Azteca. So mm-hmm. going to be a fun game, should be a fun game. Colombia, obviously, much like Mexico and a lot of other teams around this region, aside from the U.S. and Canada, are still developing in their ways and their talents and their systems. So we might get something close in terms of, you know, this is where that that level of competition is not what we saw when they were facing off against the European sides. But yeah, should be fun. And then, I mean, Argentina is, is probably significantly lower than Mexico when it comes to women's soccer development, but another friendly coming up next month already giving them more experience before they head into real serious competitive competitive play so i think it should be fun a lot of the feminine uh influencers and just reporters are going to be out at that game tomorrow so i unfortunately couldn't make it but i'm really excited to see you know just like the content that comes out of it the fans being there for the women's side um yeah it should be a good game can i also ask you like one more question about it because i think like when you when you saw you know, you know they're going to take part against you know friendlies against Spain against Japan against the U.S. is like any women's national team like in the world would have difficult time against those opponents. So I feel like by going up against Colombia and Argentina, I mean it seems like yeah, I mean you would definitely know better than me when it comes to this. Like, I don't really put Argentina at the same level of a you know a U.S. Japan or Spain, but it seems like at least for Mexico, it's kind of gives them a good opportunity to at least get. I mean, I mean, I mean after what we saw during the summer, but just at least a couple wins before World Cup qualifier or uh, the women's uh, championship uh, qualifier. Like, I feel like that's pretty important, right? Yeah, and I think that that's where a lot of people kind of, at least who have been following the team, followed Monica's trajectory as a coach. Obviously, she did amazing stuff over with the U-17s and their own World Cup, right? There was going to be a method to this madness. The important yeah. thing was for them to get experience because remember they were one I think they were the only women senior side that had absolutely no activity during all of 2020 which is embarrassing but you know it was about that experience and I think given the way that certain projects are developing these were the kind of games that were going to be probably only available right the U.S. women's national team it was a farewell tour for the Olympics right they always kind of do that with Mexico clearly they're not in the same place compared to the CONCACAF men's side that we've always kind of compared it to in that sense. But I do think that with all the games that they played against these better teams, because for for all the hope and and aspirations we have for the women's side, they're still learning. They're still growing as a a team. They are significantly better. And they had to deal with that kind of reality check, you know, of understanding where they are at on an international level. I think right now, currently they're ranked 28th on the women's and the rankings. But I think when, I think after all this experience, right. And after all these goals scored on them, you do, you should in theory go into a game against Colombia and go, I think that we might be better, or we should at least be able to convert more chances against the team of this level. And that does put you in a good place because you're not going to face, you're not always going to face, the U.S. and Canada every single time, right? right? You're going to face teams that are more at your level. So I think a good start against Colombia is going to be vital. And then obviously trying to see what happens next month against Argentina will be, will be really good for, for this team. I'm still, I mean, I still, at the end, I've talked about it now, our football pod, Monica is going to play with her system until she has to competitively decide what is her solid squad. And I think there is, 
you know, it's kind of like rotaciones, right? There is a danger in that because your players don't necessarily know how to play with each other, but they've been with each other for a very long time. And she was asked a few times during the press conference today as well about that fact, like, you know, how, how are you really finding a system? She's like, well, I know my players better than anybody because I'm with them all the time, which is understandable. And so, again, you kind of just have to believe in this method and trust the process, as they say, because, you know, we haven't seen yet what this team is capable of. And it's going to still take time, even when this, these qualifiers come up. But I think we should have a fun game tomorrow, at least against Colombia. Yeah, definitely keep an eye on that. Uh, two big games for for Mexican women's national team before uh, those games in November in the CONCACAF W uh, championship qualification for those qualifiers. So keep an eye on that. Uh, always uh, exciting stuff also going on, obviously, with uh, Amy and Adriana and the Our Football podcast. Um, where they dedicate like, a, I don't know, always dedicate a great amount of time to these conversations as opposed to, you know, only getting like 10 or 15 minutes on the Mexican soccer show. And it's pretty cool because you guys get like a full hour or sometimes even, I feel like so you guys do you even chat like a little bit longer, uh, like even an hour um, on these kind of conversations because there is, I don't know, there is all, there's definitely like ample time and like room to cover these kinds of things. Yeah. And so there's going to be um, good content coming out. Like I said, I unfortunately couldn't make it out, but we are doing some collaborations with some really fantastic feminine uh, reporters and, and digital content creators over in Mexico. So keep on the lookout. You know, Adria and I will have a pot, an hour football pod hopefully later on this week as well to kind of just dive into what happened during the friendly. But um, from that end, like you're saying, Cesar, it is really cool to just see this, you know, this rhythm that we've always seen on the men's side when it comes to friendlies and cycles and et cetera, yeah. et cetera, and just have it, you know, happen on the women's side the way that it always deserved to. Most definitely. Most definitely. So let's move on to another big game that's coming up this week. I guess it all depends on who you ask if this is a big game or not. It's a pretty big game for me, but I guess I could be part of the conversation. We're having the League's Cup final this Wednesday. Uh, it'll be between. Leon and also between the Seattle Sounders. Owen, let's go to you. First thoughts on this. I mean, and you can be honest here. Are you excited about the League's Cup? Are you ambivalent but willing to give it a chance? Do you not care? What, what, what comes to mind for you? I'm excited because I think you're looking at the final matchup and it's, it's two of the best teams um, in CONCACAF, certainly. One of the best teams in Mexico over the last few years in Leon and and consistently one of the best teams in MLS since, since they came onto the scene in 2009 in Seattle. And these are two teams that have never won an international title. So although the League's Cup, you can say, okay, this is a tournament that was just created as a money-making vehicle, and this is only the second edition of the tournament, it doesn't actually confer anything besides the title itself. There's no qualification to a bigger tournament or anything like that. And, and a tournament by only being in its, its second edition, the prestige needs to grow by playing the tournament over a course of many years, right? So that's something that's, mm-hmm. that's not there. But I think when you consider that these are two quality teams that will both be looking for a first international title and that will be at stake, I think they'll both be taking it quite seriously. Certainly in the case of Leon, you look at their match against Juarez, which is a bad loss for them, but they a lot of their key players started that match on the bench, Davila, you had to see on the bench as well. Luis Montes, who's coming back from an injury, came on for the second half. Jan Meneses also started on the bench. So a lot of a lot of your first line players, a lot of your starters sat that match out or at least didn't play the whole match. 
probably with an eye to this game on Wednesday. So that shows you how seriously Leon right there are, are taking this. Yeah, agreed. And I think it's interesting too, because if you're talking about how seriously Leon are taking this, you could say the same for Seattle as well. I mean, something that has definitely stood out as I've watched Seattle run to the finals that they're taking this quite seriously. They're, they're using some of their best options. And uh, we saw that even in their most recent game, which uh, was interesting because they're in their most recent game, they also suffered a, a one, nothing loss, but I think it was almost, it was almost kind of comparable to what was happening with Leon, where you saw it seemed like they were kind of saving their energy. You saw that they weren't playing with their best 11. Yes, they had some key players in their 11, but it wasn't their best 11 that they had some good options on their bench. It looks like there's obviously a big focus towards Wednesday. And I'm, and I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm incredibly emotional or incredibly thrilled about, about this tournament, but I am really interested about what it could become. And I'm going to be patient with it. You know, it's obvious it's clear they're going to expand it to more teams. And I think in theory, that's going to make it more exciting. And I like the idea of incorporating those who aren't involved in the CCL. So I think that's pretty cool. And I think it will eventually, I mean, I'm not saying it's going to happen next year. It might not even happen two, three, four years down the line, but I think eventually is going to be developed into a really fascinating tournament that I think more and more teams will take seriously. And if you want a little bit more from the Seattle Sounders uh, perspective, um, I, it's by Jeremiah Oshan. Uh, I think it's, I completely forgot where the name of the SB Nation site, but he writes an article, or he wrote an article recently talking about how them winning the U.S. Open Cup, but, you know, people kind of took that lightly at first, but then once they started to do well in that, then there was like a little bit more animosity between the teams involved in that tournament. And by them kind of embracing it and accepting that tournament, it kind of became a big deal. And they're wondering, can this also kind of be their big deal and to not only build up a lot of excitement within MLS fans, but also maybe some Liga Mekis fans as well. Though let's say an MLS team win, wins this League's Cup or, you know, for, for two, three years. I'm sure there'll be Liga Mekis teams. They'll feel a little bit more, I don't know, like a little excited about potentially stealing that away from them. So either way, I know it's an early stage. I know it's, I, I shouldn't get ahead of myself here, but I'm, excited about what it could become and i'm but i'm and i and i and i realize that i have to be patient with it but amy your your your, your thoughts on the league's cup on on the final do you care are you excited are you uh i know how are your feelings on this well uh not to bury the lead but uh i'll actually be making my way over to vegas <laughs> to cover the game uh so i guess you kind of you guys <laughs> you have to kind of be ex like excited then right <laughs> also it also, it's kind of a tradition. Like I had no business being at the final. Well, I didn't have not not have any business, right? But like Cruz Azul won the the previous uh, League's Cup final, if nobody remembers, and there were like people actually crying about this cup and stuff. So yeah, I think that the potential is the most important aspect of this, right? It doesn't make any sense the way that they choose the team. I mean, was, I guess it was a little more structured this time around than the last time where they just kind of threw teams together. Um, but I do think there's something here this time around. I do think that that even though it was a close victory over Santos, I think just knowing that Seattle is such a good team, even when they're not at their best, and with a player like Rio Diaz, that again wasn't having a great game, but just came out and scored a goal. Like Seattle is a good team. Seattle is a fantastic team to watch in MLS. And you know, Leon is also a fantastic team. Like you're saying, they're coming off of a loss. I mean, both of them are. But there's something there where you go a team with 
the caliber that Seattle has winning this, I don't think it leaves that bad of a taste in my mouth, you know, when it comes mm-hmm. to this mm-hmm. whole MLS Liam X rivalry. Obviously, we will also be at the final, so I don't want him to suffer through a Leon final <laughs> <laughs> loss. Um, and you kind of do want to keep that, you know, that banter going when it comes to Liam X just dominating in these in these uh, types of tournaments. But I do think there's something there if Seattle wins it. Like you're saying, right, there was something about that prestige when it came to the U.S. Open Cup. Obviously, they're a fantastic MLS side just in the regular season as well. Um, and I, I, I think that's where I come from it, where I come out of it when I think of the, of the result going either way, right? If Leon wins, awesome. That's Liga Mex consistently maintaining dominance in these tournaments. But if Seattle wins, Seattle is a good team and I don't mind them winning. You know, I think it's just also about seeing two teams that are kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say humble, right? But they carry some right. like level of like, like non-arrogance despite them both being very talented teams and I think that that's what makes this this dynamic or this matchup into a final that much more interesting too although I think there are some MLS fans who will be a little angry and be like no Seattle fans maybe not the team itself but some fans act as if they invented soccer and like fan like soccer fandom in the U.S. or really like bitter about it's 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 fascinating it's like how people say that Seattle and Portland is like the most amazing rivalry I'm not saying it's not the games can be entertaining, but it's cute in a sense. Like you guys, like, like you guys are being really cute about this. Like, okay, sure. <laughs> I think, I think, okay. Is it, I mean, we've talked, I mean, Amy, we've talked about this in our, in our group. Is it fair? You know, it's, it's, there's, there is a part of me, of course, because I cover, you know, mostly Mexican soccer that, that wants to see, I mean, I might even be saying exactly what you just said, it wants to see that continued Liga Mekis dominance, but there's also a part of me that says like, you know what? it would be important for the Mexican, like American, like MLS Liga Mekis rivalry for Seattle to win this, or at least have a good showing, or even important, can we say even important for the league's cup as well, if an MLS team were to win it? I'm not, I'm not trying, I'm, I'm trying to have more of a holistic approach here, not be like, oh, only we're the Mexican soccer show, so we should be supporting a Liga Mekis team, but I'm just trying to take a few steps back and wonder if maybe it's even better for the rivalry and also for the league's cup, if we're talking about it could potentially developing to something interesting, if Seattle were to win it, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Owen? I'm not saying I'm a root for Seattle. I'm just saying that maybe be good for the tournament and for the rivalry well, before. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, to, yeah. To, yeah. To, I, I, and then you can kind of jump off of this. Oh, and if you want, I just think that there's something like I mentioned before, there's something interesting about this dynamic with between the two of them right because i think my own winning a final is important even if it's it not it, maybe it's not grusa soul-esque you know when they won this and everybody's like oh they finally won a title but it doesn't really matter you know i think there's i think for leon there is something there about winning mm-hmm. this title right maybe it's the under new management and now you're getting a title i don't know there's something there in that sense and then i think for seattle it is maybe that lingering sort of mls needs to be the league mx side in a final kind of thing mm-hmm. but it's not it's not so like, it's not LAFC Tigres kind of thing where it's like, mm-hmm. there's like Agreed. a lingering, yeah. there's like a lingering, I don't know, tension in there about this. Like there's, there's, it's very lukewarm, but that's not to take away the significance of what this could be between these two teams. If that makes sense. No, no, that hundred percent makes sense to me. And Owen, your thoughts. I think you have to qualify this tournament before you can talk about it in the way people talk about MLS League MX with the CONCACAF Champions League and the long streak that MLS has had there now of, of not winning the tournament and then Mexican teams having a, a slightly shorter streak, but still more than a decade now, 15 years of, of winning that tournament every single edition. I think it will now be 16 years 
this year now that America and Monterey are in the final because the way the league's cup is structured, it's only one. So you're starting with a round of 16. It's just one game in each of those rounds. And it's being, every single game is being played in the United States. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's a, I mean, the, the league MX teams, I think we can all agree league MX is still a step or two above MLS in terms of quality, but nonetheless, that confers a huge advantage to the MLS team. Seattle oh, is yeah. in the final and they're there on merit, but they played their two matches against league MX sides at home. So that's, that's a huge advantage. There was no second leg there for Tigres to respond to for Santos. So I think it's, it's hard for, you know, I'm sure there will be people tomorrow if, if Seattle wins and will say, okay, is this a sign MLS is, is approaching Liga MX? Potentially, but also you have to consider that the, the way the whole tournament is structured really is skewed towards MLS. Oh, that's definitely. Isn't all of it ever, always, kind of? <laughs> like even their content is like it's run by like the same people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think, I think in a perfect world, I think you would have some games held in, in Mexico as well. I don't, I mean, I, I'm skeptical that when once they expand the tournament, that that's what we'll be seeing. It lo- I, I, my, I mean, who knows what will actually happen, but it seems like my best guess will be that they'll continue to host these games um, in stadiums in the United States. But in an ideal world, I would, you, perfect world, you would hopefully have some games in Mexico as well. Maybe you can make them like two legs. And I don't, I guess an even be- in an even more ideal world, if we're talking about all these, uh, you know, different tournaments, I've always like, thought like the perfect thing that you can do is when you're thinking about teams that qualify for either the CONCACAF Champions League or for Leagues Cup but how cool would it be if you had the top teams qualify for the CONCACAF Champions League then after that the next the next two would be to Libertadores the next two after that would be to the Sudamericana and then after that the rest would be uh, getting a qualification spot to the Leagues Cup but but I'm getting ahead of myself there, and just where does the talk Super about the, Saiyan Cup fall into all the of this? super the Super Saiyan? Uh, let's see. So you have the Campeón de Campeones taking on the Campeones of MLS, MLS's last two seasons, the Campeones Cup, and then <laughs> I know I could. I mean, I guess that's that's the other. I mean, we should probably move on uh, to uh, CCL finals and everything else. But I guess the, the other thing that's that's part of it is that's a conversation we've all had since we've had a return to soccer. Um, I was going to say after the pandemic, that's obviously an ongoing pandemic, but you do also worry that are we, are, are we putting a little too much on the plates of, of these players? Are we, are you throwing all of these matches like in a very, very congested schedule? You know, like I've talked about in the show before, but it is feasible for some Mexican player to play for the national team uh in the in the olympics and world cup qualifiers and friendlies and liga mechi so the concaf champions league and another player could be taking part in the league's cup it could be taking part in the gold cup it's just it's i mean it, didn't we I, didn't we look at ochoa's numbers and technically speaking if you actually like like averaged it out this entire year in the course of like 365 days he played one game every eight days like yeah or something like yeah along and it wasn't and it's not like he just like went outside and played like he's been traveling everywhere <laughs> like having to do these things right yeah I, yeah it's a concern for sure but i think it's a conversation where you have to almost put a pin in it now for the next few months because yep. you're looking part of that overexposure the, those too many games that's coming from for someone in the like Guillermo Ochoa for example it's also coming from playing matches with the national team CONCACAF qualifiers 
all the World Cup qualifying schedules now in the different confederations have been compressed by the pandemic. So that right there is going to give you a lot of games in a short space of time than on top of whatever the normal club schedule is. I think once you go back to a more normal national team schedule after this World Cup cycle, then it's something that you can you can examine a little bit more closely. But I think no matter what you do right now, players are going to be overworked. And I think it, it's difficult because you've got a tournament, for example, like the League's Cup. You've started it now. It's it's in its infancy. In fact, you missed the 2020 edition because of COVID. So you want to have the 2021 edition no matter what. Uh, so you have to find a way to fit it in somehow. But it is, it is difficult with with players and and keeping their their health in mind. And speaking of uh, an incessant amount of soccer and an incessant amount of tournaments, we have another tournament final to talk about as well. We have the CONCACAF Champions League final. Um, that won't be uh, in until late October, but we did have uh, uh, Philadelphia Union uh, losing 2 nothing recently uh, to America in the semis. And we also saw Cruz Azul losing 4-1 to one to Monterrey. Um, no, I'll, I'll, I'll go to uh, you on this really quickly. Uh, your your thoughts when you when you when you saw the semifinals when you saw obviously there's a little bit of a uh, I want to say like I think it was about a one month wait between the first and second legs, but when you were heading into these uh, second legs, is this what you were anticipating when you when you see the finals? Were you expecting it to be a Monterrey versus uh, a Medica final? Because that feels almost too predictable. It feels like it feels like that was kind of like the easy choice, but I don't know your your, your thoughts. I thought Cruz Azul definitely had a chance going into that second leg. I felt that America were pretty comfortable with that 2-0 advantage, and they were put under some pressure by Philadelphia, but I think oh, yeah. they were also looking to sit back somewhat as well. I think they, they were in control if they had, certainly after the, the penalty missed by Montero and the, well, the, the great save, the great double save, mm-hmm. really by Ochoa. I think that was the big turning point in the match. Had that gone in, potentially America could have been in real trouble, but I think they largely kept Philadelphia at arm's length in that match. The thing that I thought was really interesting in the second leg of the Cruz Azul-Monterey series was Monterey's nursing a 1-0 lead. They go in there on a four-game winless run. There's a lot of criticism of of Javier Aguirre and his regime, Um, a very defensive style, a lot of of fans asking for, for a more attacking outlook, especially considering all the talent that's there. You've got the league's most valuable squad. So I was expecting Monterey to to speculate somewhat and and sit back, maybe look to soak up some early pressure and then and then hit on the break. And it was the exact opposite. They went out looking for that away goal. And then not only do they get that early away goal, but then they continue to attack. So I think that was something just in terms of the the strategy, um, looking to be more aggressive in an attacking sense was something we hadn't seen from Javier Guerrero's Monterey. And so I think that's really encouraging for Monterey fans. Then if you roll that into the Classico Regio that that we saw yesterday, you can see Monterey winning against two two potential title rivals, two two big teams in Liga MX, and doing it in different ways. Being able to be on the front foot, and also then sitting back a little bit, um, protecting your lead and looking to hit on the counter. So having that that tactical versatility, I think, can serve them really well moving forward. Yeah, that's actually what stood out to me the most. I mean, I think you you, you said it there perfectly because. In that most recent game, in the, the Clasco Regio, uh, where they got the 2 nothing win over Tigres, I mean, it definitely looked like 
Beagus had most of the possession. I don't have the numbers here exactly. I mean, I'm sure I can look them up really quickly. But it looked like, I might guess, like Beagus must have had at least like 70, 60, 70% uh, possession. Because it looked like every time I was looking over uh, at the street, every time I was watching the match, it looked like Beagus had opportunities. It looked like the Beagus were the ones who had possession. But Monterrey, they sat back. And then, I mean, yes, uh, there's going to be a little controversy there. Because uh, at the end of the second half, um, uh, it looked like uh, Tigres were applying pressure, applying pressure, applying pressure. It looked like they were going to potentially get a chance. I believe it was Diente Lopez who uh, ran into the ran into a referee, or I think uh, some Tigres fans would say that the ref was in his way. Either way, created an opportunity for Monterrey to get a counter, and uh, then they scored the second goal. But I thought it was definitely interesting to see, like you mentioned there, how Monterrey were able to be very attack-minded in the Champions League semi. And then in the Clásico Regio, they scored the early goal. They sat back. They kind of took their time, and it it worked. And not only have they scored six goals over two games, but they've only allowed one during that during that that small run as well. So it's some it's some pretty impressive stuff uh, under Aguirre in, in a short amount of time. Yeah, it's the perfect week for Monterrey. I think it's really established Aguirre there now as as the one to lead them forward, and and hopefully for Monterrey fans towards another title. I think. Also really encouraging if you examine some of the individual performances over those two matches. Maxi Mesa is the one that that stands out, someone yeah. who yeah. is the most expensive foreign import in League MX history when he came over from Monterey or from Independiente, excuse yeah, me, yeah. in December 2018. Took a while to get going. The first the first couple of years, he he could be qualified as a disappointment, certainly for the fee that was paid and then the performances that he he was producing. But he's really come into his own under under Aguirre and and if you look now, that's that's two the last two matches he's he's recorded two assists, also scored against Cruz Azul. So a player who's who's really coming into his own and is making a difference. And then also at the back, you have a really solid back line in general. I think Jesus Gallardo was was the weak link on Sunday. Florian Talvan gave him a tough time out on the the left flank for Monterey, but the other three defenders there are super solid. You have a really promising partnership forming there between Cesar Montes and Sebastian Vegas at center back. Stefan Medina is a rock at right back. And then Esteban Andrada, the new signing for this season, the most expensive goalkeeper in Montre's history, who had some shaky moments in his, in his early matches with Montre, but, but was really good last night. Really great coming out and claiming crosses, punches. He did have one moment of uncertainty uh, in the 84th minute, I believe, that gave Carlos Gonzalez a a headed opportunity that the Paraguayan couldn't capitalize on. But other than that, a really solid showing from Andrade. And I think that's really big for Montre moving forward if you can have that defensive solidity. And then before we we you know, get some uh, predictions here, uh, or actually, actually, you know what? Let's start with some predictions. I was, just, I was going to move on to the Glasgow Recto, but let's get a quick prediction from, from you, Owen. What do you, what do you think is, what are you going to expect from this fund? I know it's a, a month away, but if, you were to, if, the, if the final were tomorrow, who do you think is gonna would take the win here? I think Monterey. First, they have the home field advantage, and you now see. So, yesterday in the Clásico Regio, it, it was the uh, the most fans that had been at a match in Mexico since the uh, pandemic started. There were over twenty six thousand fans there. So you're hoping in a month they could have at least that many in the stadium, if not more. I think it's a team that we've now seen that can win in multiple ways. I think America have been extremely successful under Solari, but they're, they have a more defensive, more cautious 
approach usually that's that's what brought that's what's brought them success so i think that tactical adaptability that that Aguirre has found now in the last few days i think could serve them really well but i think it's it is difficult a month out to to predict i think it's going to depend a lot on what players come through the next international break um with a clean bill of health if there are any absences key absences for either team and and what players are rounding into form just before that match all right, let's move on to the Glasgow Regio himself. We were hinting at it right there. Monterrey getting a 2-0 win over Tigres. Uh, you know, had that first goal in about the 14th minute, and then that second goal about, I think it was like the 91st, uh, with Cranovitter uh, getting the goal there with an assist from Maxi Mesa. But Amy, your thoughts on the game? Well, for one, they obviously stopped Tigres's good streak that they're but i have a very important question so i didn't watch this i followed it online like a true millennial so that doesn't pay attention to things but i have a question owen why were why were Piojo and, and Salcedo fighting on that you had the best picture by the way i just want to point that out you had the best picture of just the absolute chaos. like if there was a better picture of Piojo and Salcedo as they are in their natural habitat right now but what was the <laughs> what was the backstory with that? I mean, I know it was because he didn't want to be subbed out, right? But it looked pretty it looked pretty intense. That right. Argument. So I I think what what detonated the whole thing was that Salcedo had picked up a yellow card and and w- was looking heated. It was looking like he was he was set to pick up a red card. So Pio took him off, and I think that's where the argument started. I think simply that Salcedo didn't want to get subbed off, thought he could play with the yellow card, and and Pio disagreed, and so they they ended up with that that little tiff on the uh on the sidelines there on the bench yeah it must have been like 10 or because it, it was like it must have been like 10 or 15 minutes as soon as he got that yellow card <laughs> like then then Biojo like almost like like yeah he didn't waste too much time before uh making that making that some bringing Salcedo up but that was that that was a great great image uh you know, uh, you know obviously the big uh big deal in the soccer world when it came to a, a soccer player getting a little like bothered about getting subbed out was definitely messy but you know Salcedo and the Salcedo and Bioko that's up there too right yeah no maybe definitely rivals it <laughs> definitely in, ter- in, ter- in terms of entertainment value just of watching the incident but more entertaining for sure without question without question my you know what my only my other takeaways from Monterrey themselves I mean I agree with yep. Owen in terms of like in this moment when it comes to Monterrey and America facing off against each other in the Champions League, I would see it going Monterrey in Monterrey's favor because despite America going for those, I don't even call them ugly wins, but just more like those slow and steady victories, right? Even if it's like a low scoring game, they get a victory. They're at the, you know, they're doing well. They're not doing terribly. They just had a really commanding victory over Philadelphia. They lack a lot defensively still like if you see that that the Luca loss like those come off of I mean Owen had a great piece actually those come off of set pieces like just like just bad defensive errors that they just consistently make and when you put that together right now with the momentum that Monterrey has I could see that going Monterrey's uh, way like maybe four out of five times right now in this current setting the issue that I have with Monterrey is not even Monterrey as a team it's just that Rogelio Furismori cannot score a goal for the life of him. <laughs> like this is like this is so worrisome. Like until Raul comes back, we need to, I mean he scored, but it got disallowed and all. But he needs to actually score. Like I need I need him to start scoring because I only watch Monterrey at this point to see how he's doing up top, to see how he's adjusting himself. I I hope that Tata himself is looking at that and, and seeing, but 
it's worrisome. That's the thing that I that I lack. I mean, I'm glad Monterrey is scoring. I just need Rogelio to be part of that mix now too, because it's well, it's, it's getting he, to be too much. He's a player even even since before the 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 naturalization and becoming a Mexican a member of the Mexican national team, he'd struggled in in Clasicos. So that was his 21st Clasico Regio yesterday, and he's only scored three goals in those matches. So he doesn't do as well in those rivalry games generally. But I feel like I feel like I feel like throughout this season. When's the last time he scored for Monterrey? I feel like it's been a good. Yeah, we got to, he got two goals recently in the was it was it the 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 four to one didn't he? I, I think he pretty pretty sure he got two goals in the in the Champions League game against uh, Cruz's goal. He did, he did, yeah. But I think, but I, but I also I also get what what Amy is saying too because I think if you were to ask most. Rayados fans, what they think about Funes Mori, I would guess more than often than not, they would say that he's the talented player. He's he's very, very good as a number nine. He does a good job like linking up with the front line, but that it isn't out of the ordinary for him to have big misses. Or, you know, you could see, you know, what Owen was just saying there, like with uh, the only three goals that he's had in the classical regionals with. And I think overall with, with Rayados, yes, I mean, he, I mean, obviously he, he finds the, uh, the back of the net enough. Uh, to warrant his starting position, but he can be a little inconsistent at times uh, up top for, for Rayados. And I've sometimes wondered too, or, you know, in the recent past, you've seen Monterrey putting up some pretty big extra numbers, but they might not be scoring at the, the same rate that they should be when you're looking at some of those extra numbers. And you wonder if it's not just Funes Mori, but there are other players along with him that for whatever reason, they're just not that efficient in the final third maybe it's because they're taking shots from distance maybe it's because i don't know maybe there is there's there just a high number of like low quality shots but i think that there is something about funes modi where he isn't he isn't going to be scoring week in and week out for you but he still does score the you know the occasional crucial go, goal for you and that's that's how i feel about it for the, for the most part for for monterrey and i think eventually he's going to get a crucial goal for l3 but i just don't know if he's going to be scoring game in game out for them no, I don't. I definitely don't think that can be the expectation for Mexico. Certainly, with with Monterrey, maybe maybe a little different story. You can expect more goals. Monterrey's a team in in Liga MX, and your average Liga MX match will create a lot of chances. I think we've talked about this on the program before with Funes Mori. The issue, and you saw it in September, or in the in, we're still in September in the most recent qualifiers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was was not necessarily that he was missing chances. The two big chances over the three matches that he was presented with, he missed. Should he have scored in both of those positions? Yes. But also you have to take into account that those are the only two chances he was presented with in three starts. So with Mexico, it's also an issue of, are you creating enough chances for whoever your center forward is? We saw that issue with, with Henry Martin, when he was given, given a chance to start a couple of matches in the friendlies in May and in June he didn't really have much service at all to work with and, and wasn't effective. So I think it, with the current striker crop, if you take Raul Jimenez out and you're saying, okay, who's going to be the backup striker for Mexico, taking ch- the Chicharito talk out of it as well. It, who, you, none of these strikers are capable really of, of consistently creating chances for themselves at international level. So you're going to need a team that can, a team yeah, I mean, that can I th- structure that can create those chances. And if that's not there, I think you're going to end up, you're going to find that whoever that number nine is, is going to struggle to, to get on the end of chances, is going to struggle to score. I think Henry Martin, though, has kind of like built a case around himself because he at least has, in the current 
in the current time we're living in scored more goals than, than Funes Mori in a sense, both from a national team and from a club level. I mean, he had Funes Mori had the brace, but I think consistently, and maybe it's just also at this point, having low expectations about what Funes Mori can do. I've seen Henry Martin score more goals and score more goals out of nothing than Funes Mori has from opportunities that have been right there for him. I mean, I want him to do better. It's just, it's just worrisome still too, because I don't think, I don't think that Henry Martin starts over him yet. I think that you get, you'll get that maybe in like some easier matches, but I still think that Tata until Raul comes back is going to keep putting Funes Mori to start. I also don't. I also don't think it's an easy situation for Tata to be in when it comes to you know choosing a striker up top because I feel like both strikers can make a case for themselves. When I'm talking about Henry Martin and uh, you know obviously Rogelio Funes Mori, I, I and I was actually a little surprised that in the latest Mexico game that you know Henry Martin didn't didn't get the start up top. I thought for sure that he was really getting a getting a starting chance up there. So I do I do feel a little uh, bad for for someone like Henry Martin because I don't know I. I sometimes wonder if, you know, he could be, you know, Mexico's like new Oribe. And by that, I mean someone who isn't the most flashy or exciting striker, but he can score consistently, uh, potentially and score some of the crucial goals for the national. We've seen that with Oribe in the past. And maybe you can have someone like Henry Martin kind of play that role. Will he be your starting striker? Pro- probably not. Is he even arguably, you know, you know your, your best backup? I'm not entirely sure. but. I know. I, I do hope he is given a little bit more of a chance with L3. And I know I know America didn't win over the weekend. I know the, the winning streak is now over, but no, that's that's the second goal in a row that uh, Henry Martin has had uh, for America. He scored against uh, Philadelphia Union. He scored against Toluca. And if he continues that momentum, maybe he'll be uh, potentially getting a starting spot up top with Mexico uh, next month. Obviously, that depends on the Raul Jimenez situation as well. But I know I'd, I'd be as someone who was also a fan of Funes Mori, and I really want Funes Mori to do well. And uh, I'm generally, you know, I generally really like Funes Mori, but I, I also do hope that Henry Martin gets a chance, uh, at least in your in your future for all three. All right, now we got like about three minutes. And I'm wondering whether we should end it with uh, on America, or actually, we should probably do since we talked a little bit of America there. Maybe we could potentially like could potentially talk a little bit more about the Luca, but we should at least sneak in at least a few minutes talking about the dumpster Boosa fire. Thieves. Talk about the dumpster <laughs> fire. Boost the Thieves is no longer with Chivas. It took, uh, I, I think, I think if you're a Chivas fan, you oh my God, it's such a, a, it's such a, a mess. Pr- if you're a Chivas fan, you would say that it took a, Amy, it sounds like you want to, you want to talk about it. Amy, go ahead. <laughs> you know, I, I, I only, I only know so much about this because the Varro and the CDN crew is very vocal online and it's become now at this point, like to follow it. you you have to follow it. If you're on the timeline, you have to understand what they're going through that these last two matches that they've played or have been so bad. And you kind of go, okay, I can kind of see why they got rid of him. But Owen and I have actually been working on some pieces for Flamex Nation throughout the weekend. You know, if you have a chance to go check them out. But I remember we were saying, like, who's going to write this piece? And we were, because we were going to, you know, kind of go with the breaking news because they, they released it Sunday morning. And we we're both like, why now? Out of all the times, yeah. after all these rumors about Nekaksa is going to be the game that determines it, granted, they ended up winning that. So uh, I can see how that kind of alters the, 
you know, the decision that they were going to make. But it's just such weird timing. And it goes into this, you know, we saw made a joke, I think a couple, a couple pods ago, where he's like, for the past like couple years, we've just been talking about like, what's wrong with Chivas? What's wrong with Chivas? And I feel like I, at this point, I finally understand it because you just go, the decision-making all around is just, it's comical at this point. Yeah. It's, it's comical. And then you take into consideration that they have the Clásico Nacional coming up. You know, they, they obviously are going to have an interim coach in the process, but you, you look at it from the outside as somebody that's not invested in this team. And even then you go, what is going on? And, and how are you confident in the things that you do? I don't know. It's just, it, it's a, it's a they, mess. Yeah. Like it's a dumpster they, fire to watch and it's not even like enjoyable to make fun of anymore. They, they had a perfect opportunity during the interna- international break. And I mean, because if you look at Chivas right now, you know, they, I mean, I'm not saying they're playing great soccer, but you can say, oh, they're undefeated in their last four games. Oh, they recently were able to sneak by with some narrow wins. If a, if a coach was on the hot seat and if there was, and if they were, he was truly being given an opportunity to extend his tenure, you think that this would be enough for him to hold on to his position. I'm not trying to, not trying to say that Busatich has done a great job. I, I, I think I, a lot of the criticism Chivas fans have been giving him is, is definitely just, and I definitely agree with a lot of it, but if, but if it seemed inevitable that he was going to be dropped, why, 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 why before, before this game against America, why it seemed like they were leaning towards doing this? Why not during the international break? It's, it's extremely confusing and odd. And maybe we're all going to look like fools. Maybe uh, Michel Leano is going to be the interim for a very short amount of time. And it looks like, cause I think the most practical or the most, I don't know, like the, like an Occam's razor situation here. It's like, well, they actually have someone in line who could be like a Turco Mohamed or who could be, uh, you know, an Alonso who will step up in the near future and will help them qualify for the, you know, you know, qualify for the playoffs and get a good, get a good run in the playoffs. But I don't know. It seems so bizarre. And oh, I mean, your thoughts, I know we're, we're running out of time here, but your thoughts in this situation. I think for sure the timing, the timing is the big question that, that comes to mind when, when analyzing this, why now? I think when you consider, obviously Chivas weren't playing well under Vucetic, were not fun to watch, but they had collected eight points from the last 12. So you get the wins over Nakax, you get the win and uh, Pachuca, and then you, you get points, however you manage to do it, not playing necessarily attractive football, but you manage to get points at Monterey and then at Pumas, which are two, two difficult trips, no matter how those teams are doing. So that's a great run of results. I think it's difficult. We don't know the exact reason why he was let go and, and we might never know it, but one can't help but think, okay, so if Vucic had somehow managed to win the Clásico Nacional, then you definitely can't fire him. Yeah, it becomes yeah, a posi- yeah. it becomes you. You're then in a position where you have no choice but to stick with him. So, I think this was their last opportunity, really, to pull the trigger. I think it would have obviously made more sense to do it during the international break. And there's a lack of of consistency in the sense that just before the international break, they beat Nakaxa narrowly, and then now they've you've collected a narrow, ugly win over Pachuca, and and then you're letting Busetich go. But I think if you, the noises coming out of Chivas with the press conference that Pelaya's game uh, gave today indicates that they're looking to bring in a younger coach, someone who, who favors a more dynamic style. I think that's all encouraging if you're a Chief, if you're a Chivas fan. You want to see the team at least try to play better soccer. 
if nothing else. Agreed, agreed. Uh, Amy, I believe that's uh, all we have time for. I think you're going to have to head out. I think you said you're going to have to head out soon, or do can we extend this for like a couple more minutes, or, are you, or should we wrap it up? Oh, don't put me on spot like that while we're on air. Although we do have to actually, wrap it up because I have actually, to. I, I definitely put you on the spot there, didn't I? I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, but it's fine. It's fair. You know, I will, I will do what Chivas can do and pull the plug early and say that we have to, we have to, we have to go because I have my own game that I have to disappoint in, in, in a few minutes as well. All right, Amy, Amy, to close us out, give us a preview of what you're expecting for, for tonight for your, for your game and how many goals do you think you're going to score? So we're facing off the, we're facing off against the first place team. I think right now we currently set in fourth. So, um, I might be the Funes Mori of my team, or I can be the Henry Martin that scores unexpectedly. I don't know. We'll find out after. Be sure to follow my tweets later. I'll wait. Well, we know. I'll be posting this after my game. So after, after. You'll, you'll figure it out. I don't know. I just <laughs> I, I disappoint sometimes on the soccer field, but it's all about the love of the game. So sorry. it's all about the love of the game. It definitely is. And I'm sorry for disappointing you by putting you on this five. <laughs> Thank <laughs> no. you. Thank you to Amy. Thank you to Owen. Thank you to the listeners. Uh, apologies we couldn't do, speaking of putting people on the spot, we could put myself on the spot here since uh, Owen and Amy were 100% ready to go for a live pod. And then my internet just took a poop and it was just like not exactly working and my laptop wasn't working. So I was struggling. So uh, if you guys are, any of you are out there bothered about the fact that there is no, was no live pod. It's uh, SSL. Uh, I am an accessory football where you can, you know, get, get, get even more complaints. But thank you, uh, Owen. Thank you, Amy. And uh, thank you once again to the listeners. And we'll see you all in the next episode.